0: We are finishing up today our series on the Ten Commandments with the 20th and 21st verse of Deuteronomy 5. Listen once again for the Word of God. Neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor, neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field, or male or female slave or ox or donkey. Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may not know this about me, but one of my favorite things to do when I was a teenager and a very young adult was to craft the perfect, snappy, mean, and nasty takedown of a dumb idea. I just loved it. I just loved the laughs, I just sank into those Facebook likes like a warm blanket. Like many of us back then, I treated Facebook like Twitter, and I frequently thank the Lord that I wasn't on Twitter because there would be a long and embarrassing record of all that subtweeting. If you don't know what subtweeting is, it's posting a tweet or a Facebook post about someone without mentioning them specifically. So you want to show that you have the right opinions and that you have snappy retorts and that people can learn from you because you're so enlightened, right? You become okay with slightly misrepresenting the person or turning them into a caricature of the worst version of their opinion because you don't want to deal with the awkwardness of actually confronting a person who has a brain, and a perspective, and feelings. It's bad, and it's why I got rid of my Facebook. In millennial culture, we call it toxic. And in Ten Commandments culture, we call it sin. We're looking today at Commandments 9 and 10. We have heard and seen this summer all the ways that all the commandments expand under Jesus' teaching. Jesus' focus on the heart and that we break all of them. Whether or not we've killed or stolen or cheated on our spouses, we have broken all the commandments. We all have particular struggles as people that might map onto one or more of the Ten Commandments. You might be plagued by hatred or disregard for others' needs, a tendency to put life in the place of God, a wandering eye We're in a cultural moment of radical self-acceptance. And so it's easy to find affirmation for many of these things packaged as strength or realistic flaws. But the commandments help us recognize that no matter who we are, no matter what our specific struggle, we are starved for the nourishment of the Holy Spirit. We examine ourselves and confess our sins every week. We just did it. We should do that. It's good for our souls and we're commanded to do it before we take communion. But sometimes we can begin to see this as perpetually wiping our slate clean over and over and over again without much change. And that can drive people to think God's commandments are only there to make us feel guilty. The good news of the Gospel is that God already wiped your slate clean, and the Christian life is receiving the nourishing recreation of the Holy Spirit. We get more and more excited about it as it goes on, as our lives go on, and so we're willing participants. But the decisive thing is receiving that nourishment that turns you into something new. Not the best you can be under the circumstances that surround you, but you as the best creature God can make. That's what you will someday be in heaven. And what a gift that is. So when we look at the commandments, we're not looking primarily at a list of our failures. We're looking at what can be what will be, what God is in the middle of creating right now. So as we look at these two, I want us to think about what we delight in. I want to be better. I want all of us to be better. But it doesn't happen because we're told what's bad. It happens because we want what is good. False witness is an other-focused type of lying. In its strictest sense, false witness is lying about someone in court or before an authority. And our reformed theologians and confessions have always expanded it to witness in the broadest sense, prejudicing the truth by producing bad evidence, rumor mongering, gossip, slander, savoring others' disgrace twisting words, backbiting flattery, condemning anyone without a hearing. We should be ready to hear that someone is better than we thought. We should be ready to cover over their little faults and to remind others of their little strengths. This is not easy. I love calling my best friend with a good, you're not going to believe this. Don't you? Who doesn't love to use someone's unreasonable behavior as fodder for a good, lively conversation? I know some people who have followed Jesus long enough that they don't do this, and I want to be like them, but I'm not there yet. They're the best people, right? You can trust them. Think, for example, of the most unreasonable person you've ever worked for. How easy it is to give up on hard work and advocating for good ideas so that their dumb ideas will flop. How easy it is to share your spouse's annoying habits with your friends instead of protecting their reputation. How easy it is to call your friend after a crazy group chat or group dinner just to talk about someone else's crazy choices to say, I'm so worried about them. When you're irritated with someone and you tell a story about them, do they come off worse than they need to? A while back I was hanging out with some college friends and I was having a grand old time telling a story about my misadventures ordering coffee in Paris. I kept ordering cafe filter, filtered coffee because I just can't do without my basic Starbucks coffee. And these baristas in France were very uh, judgmental. They didn't like my coffee choices. They couldn't understand what I was saying. And after a while, I thought, do they not understand what I'm saying? Is it my accent? What's going on? So my friend, another friend, wandered over and she said, you know, you do have a good accent, but that's one of those words that just has so many specific sounds in it. It's like this. And she said it. And I immediately turned into the worst version of myself. I started just fuming inside my head. Have you ever felt this way about something dumb? Something that just makes you want to turn that comment back and just win this contest that doesn't matter in front of other people so that you look better? How can I tell her off in a way that shows everyone That I'm really the good guy here. How can I make sure everyone knows I know how to pronounce this word? How stupid is it that I cared at all? But there was so much pride wrapped up in my head and I almost let myself be angry at this beloved friend that I see twice a year. And so I took a beat and I prayed for the mortification of my pride and I went back to being annoyed and after about an hour of just being privately petty in my brain i just felt it melt away and i decided not to make not to make my annoyance make her look worse in front of other people but here's the thing it would have made me look worse right my friends are not idiots this is how it goes without this commandment my insecurity can turn me into the type of person who puts others down so that i will look better the type of person who insists, oh, no, I actually am right. I actually am right. It's happened. It makes you look silly. It makes others not want to be vulnerable with you. And so you lose in the end. I'm reading an old out-of-print novel right now called The Heir of Redcliffe*. Has anyone heard of it? Not a single person. I love it. The heir of Redcliffe's main claim to fame is two things. First, it's never been made into a BBC miniseries. Tears. And second, um, Joe March cries about it in Little Women. Those are the only two places I've ever heard of it. So it's a story of two men whose insecurities are pitted against each other. Philip is a little older. He's poor, but he's well-educated, and he's just intensely patronizing. It's just really hard to read and in another way, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is the most brilliantly written, patronizing person. He's sure he knows what's best for everyone else. Guy is younger. He's inherited a ton of money, but he's been raised in isolation and so he's very naive. And Philip convinces his uncle that Guy is gambling and should not be allowed to marry his daughter. He thinks it's true, but He's so self-righteously certain that he's doing the right thing by repeating this rumor that his eyes are just totally closed to the possibility that he might be wrong. And evidence piles up in Guy's favor that Philip is wrong, but Philip cannot see that he might be wrong. And so you watch this self-important man ruin someone else's life certain that it's just tough love. But Guy does manage to marry Amy, and on their honeymoon, they run into Philip. And Amy wants to ignore him. But Guy wants so badly to fix all the misunderstandings, to forgive, to go back to normal. Philip is going to marry Amy's sister, and he wants a lifetime of regular old friendship with no resentment. Who are you most irritated with? I think that's the point of the model. Do you want to believe the best and give the benefit of the doubt and move on? Or are you just unable to imagine letting an arrogant, meddlesome person go? I go back and forth. I've been thinking a lot this week about the internet I've been thinking about the term cancel culture. Some of you may be of the opinion that it doesn't exist, others that it's rampant, others that people are just exaggerating about it and it's not that big of a deal. But let's think, let's leave off the name for a minute. How often do people tell just one side of a story so that they can unambiguously present someone as bad? Do we repeat mantras so that we can get people to believe that the other side, whatever it is, is depraved, so that we don't have to confront a real person? This is how it works, and it's false witness. What does coveting have to do with all this? Coveting is misdirected desire. Desire for someone else's spouse, their job, their home, their bank account, their vacations, their easy skating through life that you can see from the outside. We're not meant to hear that wanting good things is wrong, but that wanting things at the expense of others is wrong. Have you ever found yourself thinking, why is that person happy? in their marriage when I work so much harder at it? Why did she get that fellowship when I wrote a more interesting paper? Why is he in that office when I'm a better leader? Why did they have children when I would be a more loving parent? These kinds of questions are so easy to ask, and they make judgments about what God is allowed to grant to others. Meanwhile, we spin further and further into that toxic, uncharitable comparison of ourselves and others. It makes us bitter. It's not good, productive desire that keeps us moving and working for better. It's destructive desire that keeps us wanting worse for other people. Why do we break these commandments? Well, we might love power. We might love the feeling of looking like the good guy or the strong woman or the successful family. We might want to look like the best student or the best athlete or the best employee. And it all comes down to insecurity. Every human being alive deals with some kind of insecurity. And lying about others and lusting after what they have are two things we do in response to this desire to be better. Problem is that we're desiring to do well in the eyes of the world, at the expense of other people. And in the process, we're missing the gift in that moment of doing well in the eyes of God. What is the moment when you feel it? What's that one thing that causes you to spiral, to try to prove to everyone else that you really are the best person they know? Are you afraid you're not smart? Not competent? Not beautiful, not articulate, not funny, not wealthy, not disdainful of material things, not interesting, not selfless and kind, not educated, not the kind of person who doesn't think they're better than everyone else. None of these things plague every single one of us. But something on this list, or something you're thinking of now, keeps you tied down to the temptation to covet and to bear false witness. What is it, exactly, that flips the switch and makes you want others to lose something so that you can have it? It is hard to feel like you have been passed over for blessing. It is hard to feel like you know something about yourself that others can't see, and you want them to know, even at someone else's cost. It's hard to wonder whether God has forgotten about you. Sometimes I ask, what if God's blessings for me aren't the ones that I want? That's a scary thought. So what can we do to confront our insecurities and our deep desires to be happy for people? To live a life of aspiration and growth without living in zero-sum bitterness? If there was an answer, the world would be a very different place. But I want to suggest a place to start that has helped me. When you feel discontented, tell God. A lot of us believe that God only wants us to come to him when we can honestly say, I'm okay with where you have me. Now, the Christian life is defined by trust, and we should be growing always. Toward a place where we can believe that God's plans for us are the best plans made by someone who loves us and knows us better than we do ourselves. But part of trust is honesty. God wants to hear from you. That's what prayer is. Tell God that you're not happy. Tell God. If you hate where you are and desperately want something new, tell God that you feel passed over and unseen. Then find a trusted friend and tell them what you're experiencing in your walk with Christ. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to remind you of the times when God was doing something wonderful and you didn't know it yet. This might sound trite to you, but it's a hurdle that we all have to get over in our relationship with God. That we would be upfront with our insecurities and our desires and our discontentment. Ask God for what you need, and ask God for what you want. Ask God that you would want what he has for you. Seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Amen.